0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So our text today is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, which is Mary's Magnificat. And I googled it this past week. And it's interesting, of the first three links that came up, one of them was, of course, Wikipedia. Um, But the other two, the first and the third, surprised me a small bit, maybe it shouldn't have, but they were both websites that were, were taking the Magnificat and using it to advocate social justice. So the first said the following, the Magnificat is a revolutionary song of salvation whose political, economic, and social dimensions cannot be blunted. It went on to quote J.L.'s song from the Old Testament, where J.L., a woman, uh, kills a man by driving a tent spike into his head. The other website um, was also an article uh, that began with Um, at the top of the article, began with a picture of Mary with her fist raised up on high like this and her foot standing on top of a skull with a banner that read, cast down the mighty, send the rich away. Which is kind of from the Magnificat um, uh, from verse 53. So what do you think of when you think of Mary's Magnificat or even just Mary? So to help gain clarity on this, let's go ahead and read Luke 1, verses 46 through 55, Mary's Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for Mary's humility in this song that stands as a testimony of the good That you have done and are doing through the advent, through the coming of Jesus, born in Bethlehem. Amen. Water vapor can be mesmerizing. This sounds weird, but it's true. When you uh, follow behind a car, especially in winter, it billows as steam blows off from the exhaust pipe of the car in front of you. It smells really good coming from a laundry vent. As as a child, I used to think that the water vapor coming up from smokestacks is what created clouds. Did anyone else think that? Was that just me? Okay, there's a few. I'm not alone in that thought. That's good. So it's, it's, it's mesmerizing. I was driving home uh, from church the other day, um, and it was one of those really bitterly cold days. When a car first turns on and warms up, it's kicking out a lot of that stuff. But I was turning off a lineville, going onto the highway, and the car in front of me was just blasting me and the cars next to me with vapor. Uh, but by the time my blinker was clicking uh, to signal, to merge into traffic, into the highway, The vapor was gone. I was thinking about my wife, my daughter, and the chicken avocado burgers waiting for me at home that she was making. Our lives are humble realities. Humble, not just a sense that God, uh, it's it's a humble story with a humble home with a humble, it's not at all like that. It's humble realities in the sense that while we are blessed and many wonderful things are given to us, in the grand scheme, in the grand scope of things, We are not the person in the car anticipating chicken avocado burgers. We're not the car trying to get a person home. We are not even the chicken avocado burgers. We are the vapor. Gone in a moment. James 4.14, if you recall from our last sermon series, says, What is your life? For you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In our passage today, Mary knew firsthand the humble state of her life, both as a servant and as being a dependent vapor upon God. She knew she was vapor, and a servant wanted that. And like Mary, our lives are humble realities. And from our passage, our humble lives witness, along with Mary, we witness that God sees his servant God sees the proud and God sees his covenant. And like with Mary, we must magnify his name. First, God sees his servants her uh, Magnificat begins with praise and it takes her no time at all to give the reason for her praise. I praise the Lord. Here's why. Uh, So right away in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So in the first line here, the word for look is actually an uncommon word in the Greek. The normal Greek word for this is blepo and it occurs 133 times in the New Testament. Mary uses epiblepo, which is only one of three occurrences in the New Testament. And each time, it's conveying an understanding of not just uh, look, but of looking favorably upon, of seeing. God is not simply aware of Mary. He has seen her. Now, there's two kind of looks that you can get at the grocery store, right? There's the, uh, there's the look where you're walking with your cart. You make eye contact with somebody as you're going by in the aisle. And that eye contact means we're not going to run into each other with our carts because we acknowledge we both exist. It's the same look you get when you come to a stop sign at a four-way stop and you say, okay, I'm not going to hit you. You go first. All right, that's not, that's not look that's being used here. It is, it's the other kind of look that if you get in a grocery store, it might make you uncomfortable because it's not normal to be seen in that context. It's the look that when your child is losing it or uh, you have just a a dark look on your face from a long day that someone notices and has a a look of that's rough on their face instead of anger or impatience that, that your child is disrupting the peace. It's the look that a restaurant that ends with you asking for your check and hearing that it's already been paid by the table who just left. You haven't just been noticed. You've been seen. Mary has been seen and goes on to honestly gush not about the good stuff she's been given, not about the status she has now being the mother of Jesus. No, she gushes about the God who gave it all. In this stanza alone, verses 46 through 50, God is mentioned by name or pronoun nine times. Look what God has done for his humble servants. He has seen me. And this kind of look and a favor from this God is not just for Mary. But she goes on to say it's for all generations who fear him in verse 50. God sees his servants. He gets the praise. So, Rondaleigh and my wife and I used to love getting Chinese food with Jason and Lisa Fullian, uh, many of you know. They were missionaries that uh, just left recently for South Africa. But on one such occasion, when we were getting Chinese, Rondale and I were in the car and we were picking it up, but the line was very long. Very long. It was like out of the drive through into the street long. It was like out of the drive through into the street long with other lanes trying to merge into it long. And uh, I, I, I was. I hop in a line, and in my own sinful heart, I have an impatience that I battle with. So I was making sure that nobody was trying to cut me off or merge when they shouldn't and unjustly delay how soon I would get my Chinese, right? Um, God humbled me in that moment for in one way, but in other ways too. I watch a car in a line ahead that, gets, that has been sitting there since I hopped into the line, and, uh, but no one would let him in. Uh, there was like a, a a lane of traffic that goes in between this line and the actual drive-through line, and no one, and so they just kept going on in and not letting this car in. So I, he's been sitting there for longer than I've been there. Five cars ahead, he's not let in. Four cars ahead, he's not let in. Three, two, well, one, one car ahead of me, he's not let in. I'm thinking, I felt for this guy so much. How frustrated I would have been if I should if I should have been let in five cars ago. That's not right. His family is now five cars hungrier. So I lock eyes with him and I wave him into the line. A short bit later, Rondalee and I order our Chinese, now very hungry, uh, hungry Gallaghers and hungry Fulians. So we get two extra orders of Rangoons because sometimes you just gotta spring uh, for the extra and it's worth it. Uh, But we get up to the the window to pay only to have all all of our food, Rangoons and all, already paid by the driver that I waved into the line. I looked upon his poor, hungry estate and saw him. (laughs) And in the end, I received the Thanksgiving in white rice, crab meat, and cream cheese form. It's a fond memory, but it's helpful in this situation. God looks upon Mary's estate, humble estate, and he sees her. And he does great things for her. Me laying this guy into the line, that that, that wasn't that great, let's be honest. But God saw her and he does great things. And in response, Mary magnifies the Lord. He receives the thanksgiving. For those of you who fear the Lord, as Mary says in verse 50, do you believe that you have been not just, that you're not just aware of by God, but you have been seen. And that he looks upon you. Life may sometimes testify against this. Maybe you're the one who's not been noticed by friends and family. Maybe you weren't the one who was asked out to homecoming or to Sadie's Hawkins. Maybe you're the one that no one asked to marry. Do you feel not seen by your spouse, the one person who should see you the most, both in your sorrows and in your joys? Do your parents not hear or see the reason why you accidentally broke the vase and instead just yell without reason? Now some of these issues start with us. Maybe we're not known or seen because we're not trying to be known or seen. We're trying to hide. But here's the good news. Whether that is true of you or not, God sees you. He knows you. And he looks upon the humble estate of his servant. His mercy is for those who fear him. Knowing this, we are to do as Mary does. And let the good in our life reflect the giver. Give thanks. And we'll spend more time on what this give thanks looks like in our next point. So God sees his servant, but the text continues, God also sees the proud. Let's read on in verses 51 through 53. Look with me if you would. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This portion of the song rejoices in God being active to not just bless the good, but to right the wrongs of the proud, of the rich, of the mighty. So this this actually is not something that you or I may commonly associate with Christmas, but how could we ever sing peace on earth, goodwill to men, as the angels sang, if nothing is done about the proud, the rich, the selfish, or the corrupt? This is a sad reality we do experience today. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15 says, In my life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Jeremiah 12 says, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? We've all witnessed this in big and small ways, haven't we? The cheating student who does not study is the one who gets the A on the exam. An abusive parent is the one who receives custody after the divorce. A driver receives an OWI for the seventh time and he still has his license. The least deserving child receives all the favoritism and attention from a parent. But Mary praises God for his coming to right these wrongs. This is what God does. This is in his nature. And this is, it's a testimony of scripture again and again and again. That life is brought out of death. That what is lacking is made whole. That what is not aware of the sin is humbled in their sin. That what is unjust is made just. So where? Where are the wrongs righted? We just give a list of examples where we see that we've seen it in this world. Where is the lacking made whole? Where is the sinful humbled? Where is the unjust made just? And where is life brought out of death? The cross. The cross. Mary rejoices that God has come. And she knows, she's been told, Joseph and her have been told by the angel that he's come to be the savior of the world. And in doing so, he has made right all the wrongs between us and God the Father. She rejoices, maybe not truly knowing the cost that it will cost the life of the son to which she is to give birth, but she knows the promise that he will save his people. One artist summarized it well when they sang, I celebrate the day that you were born to die. Christmas celebrates a season of Christ having come to earth and established peace on earth 2,000 years ago but he is still active today where can we witness today voices crying out worthy is the lamb just as Mary cried out worthy are you God I magnify your name where can we go today to see the poor given help to see the rich surrender their wealth to see this forsaken give attention to see reconciliation between God the Father and the Son and us You, church, is where we see it today. You, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is 1 Peter 2:9, And it continues in verse 12. Keep your conduct among others honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Just as Mary did. Without Christ's coming... There is no church as we know it today. Christmas brought to us a savior, a king, and it brought to us the church we have now. And he is still active and moving. He is still Lord in the church, that it might be a means of bringing peace on earth. Mary not only rejoices that God sees his servant and rights the wrongs, both in the cross and in his hands and feet, the church, but also that he sees the proud and rights the wrongs. There is a, a very, very wealthy man who's honestly, he's probably in the, the top 2 to 3% of wealthiest people in the world, uh, but he got there by corrupt means. So he, he worked for um, his government and the equivalent of what we would call in the US the IRS, making sure people didn't try to p- cheat the government out of money and steal and, and make sure that money got to the government. But he did this job, not just for the rich, but also for the poor. And can you imagine it being your job, having to go to the poor, who struggle to have a roof over their head and saying, you need to pay up. But what makes this even worse though, for this individual, is that he would overcharge. He would not just take what is necessary, but he would gut them and hide it, leaving them with little to nothing. Many years into his job, as I mentioned, he became very rich and very wealthy. But eventually, someone shared the gospel with him for the first time. And it tore him apart. It convicted him so deeply that he went back into all of his debt collection records and found the names of every person he had cheated and gave him back all the money he stole. And then some took out of his own pocket and gave more so. But this is what the gospel does. This is what Christ's coming has done. Greed in a heart would never allow such generosity. And you may have guessed it, but this man is actually Zacchaeus. And who was his encounter with that shared the gospel with him? It was none other than Mary's son. It is Mary's son who truly sent the rich away in this instance. Empty in a beautiful way. A heart humbled and renewed knowing Christ. God writing the wrongs can often be so gentle and so loving by having the rich and the proud and the mighty and the corrupt humbled to see the wrongdoing and to repent and to right them through their own, uh, through his spirit working in them. But sometimes it's not as gentle. But God is righting wrongs. And Mary rejoices. Do you rejoice like Mary over justice? What does rejoicing look like in your life? Is your heart stale and hardened with jealousy when you see good brought upon the lives of others deserving or not of that good? Are you afraid to rejoice when you see justice because you fear rejoicing would offend someone or you don't want to be perceived as part of a movement? When you find yourself rejoicing over justice, is it with bitterness in your heart? Do you say in your heart, damn that man, he deserved it, he had it coming? It's likely a sign of unforgiveness. Mary rejoices to see God brings justice, but there's a difference between rejoicing in the work of the Lord and doing so with bitterness in our hearts. How is God righting the wrongs in your own life? We must genuinely pause and ask ourselves, am I the rich that needs to be, in what way am I the rich, or am I the rich that that needs to be sent away empty? Am I the one being exalted, being found in humble estate. Either way, let us heed the call to be the church that Christ has established in his coming and to see the hungry filled with good things and rejoice at righting the wrongs. Finally, let us look at uh, one more time at verses 54 through 55. God not only sees his servant, he not only sees the proud, but he sees his covenant Verse 54, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. This is truly the climax of the song and it's the most hope-filled part. Mary talks of mercy and promises made to Israel, given to Abraham thousands of years prior. And Jesus, her own Son, is the fulfillment of these promises. Genesis chapter 12, the promise is given to Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis chapter 26, you have the three patriarchs, yes? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Genesis chapter 26, the same promise is given to Isaac. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In uh, Genesis 28, it's given to Jacob. In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All of these verses Mary knew. That's why she's saying this. It's why she was explicitly referencing Israel and Abraham at the end of her prayer. And she knew two things. One, they mention an offspring who is part of that promise. And two, these verses mention that through this offspring, all nations will be blessed. Mary's son is the promise. I can't imagine waiting for something a thousand years would have been like, and this is actually something we struggle with to get into the heart and the mindset of Mary in our uh, culture today. Um, and it's, this isn't a bad thing. It's not, a, well, it can be a bad thing, but it can be a good thing. Is that we have such an individualized society. Uh, and that's, again, there's some good things about that, but there's some weak things. One of the weak things is we've lost a lot of our identity as, and in our history of who we are as a people, not just who we are as a person, So when Mary said, God has remembered his promises to Abraham and to Israel, she owned that story. That's her story. It's her people. And so she was able to really grasp on what it meant that these promises she's been waiting for a thousand years. When I was 19 years old, I walked out of a church feeling much more passionate about uh, uh, about God's word and about God's people knowing God's word than I ever did about music, which is what my undergrad was in college. So I called my pastor. I said, Chris, Pastor Chris Vogel, I want to be pastor. Should I leave my conservatory of music and go to Bible college? He said, nope, nope, David, uh, finish your undergrad degree uh, for you uh, get the next three years because I was a freshman at the time. Finish that first. Will you have school debt after that? Yes, you will. Okay, well, then you want to pay off some of that school debt. Uh, after that, you want to go get your master's. Um, masters of Divinity, which is typically a ninety nine credit program, should take three to four years. At some point, you'll have to complete an internship for a year. And you also have to become licensed to preach, which means passing some exams. You'll have to memorize Westminster Shorter Catechism. You'll have to uh, memorize an outline for uh, books of the Bible. No general Bible content. Where's David and Goliath? Stuff like that. Finally, you'll want to be ordained. But before you do that, you've got to receive a call uh, to be ordained. And you can't be a pastor unless you have a call to minister somewhere. And once having your call, then you have to pass your ordination exams in church history, PCA church history, sacraments, Greek and Hebrew. Thanks, Chris. I didn't, I'm surprised I still said, okay, let's maybe give this a shot. I think I did so not fully understanding what that all meant. But I still hung up the phone thinking I'm going to try this and to pursue this. And when when I became ordained, it felt surreal. I've been pursuing it for 11 years, and I'm still processing the journey, looking back, disbelieving that it's happened. My ordination was life changing and i only had to wait 11 years but christ's coming was era changing literally our literally our calendar was built around it we are in 2021 anno domini which in latin means ad year of our lord mary knew this was era changing because she knew the promises given to abraham and to israel Jacob's well, Mary sang of a promise that took 1,000 years prior. For you and I, it's 3,000 years, if not more, removed from us. So would you do me a favor to make this more concrete and real for us, that it is our story. Could we do what Mary uh, does in the Magnificat? Could we sing together? This may seem odd, but I think you'll catch on really fast. I'm going to sing a song. I'm inviting you to join me. You're looking for the lyrics, aren't you? No, it's not up there. (laughs) Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right hand. We don't have to do the rest of it. That's okay. We can stop there. Church, why are we praising the Lord? That we are son of Father Abraham. We, we grew up singing this. How, it's, so, it's, it's crazy, guys, how, how ingrained this is in us, and we don't understand it as much as we should. Why are we praising the Lord that we are children of Abraham? Because his covenant promises are for him and for his children. Galatians 3.9 says, Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Galatians three twenty nine says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Why do you think all the Christmas songs tell the same story over and over again? We just sang uh, the first Noel. It tells the story of the shepherds. It tells the story of the, the, the wise men. Why? Because it's your story. Rejoice, even this song, we sang this last week. Rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Why didn't it say, shall come to thee, O church? Because we are the new Israel. We are the spiritual Israel. Knowing this, we magnify the Lord. How can we actually apply this in our lives? So first, let's start by actually singing the Christmas story and reading it like it's your story. Like it's our story. Recognizing that these Christmas songs aren't just nice, quaint things of nostalgia, but and, and you know not to make things nostalgia, but it's more than that. It's it's story that is ours. And knowing that, we magnify the Lord. We are called to humbly own this last part of Mary's song, these last four lines. I'll read, let's, I'll read it again, but in our context here. God has helped his servant Israel, that's you, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our, or Jacob's well's, fathers. Who is Jacob's well father? To Abraham and to his offspring forever. Church, because God sees his servants, because God sees the proud, and because God sees his covenant promise, we are to magnify the Lord. Let us be like humble, humble Mary and do so. There's a song, uh, that is wrapped, uh, it's a rap song uh, by the band Beautiful Eulogy called Worthy. Uh, it, it rightly sees our humble estate in his glorious provision and goodness to us. Now, I, I went back and forth all week on if I was going to try to rap this for you or not. Um, my, uh, I'm not going to but I might slip into it accidentally. So I think what happens is I'll just start speaking fast and it sounds rhythmic, but I'm not gonna actually try to rap. And my wife will, will, will has, has said much thanks for me agreeing to not do so. All right, uh, but these lyrics take on a, a, a good remembrance of he who came, of he who brought his advent to us, of his promises to us, and that he is worthy. We are the humble and all of our worth comes from him. It's just—it's such—it's rich. So, here we go. There is a space between us. It's a right divide. Distance between the depths of your worthiness and mine. Mine is derivative. All my worth comes from thine. I am a merely a man. All thy works divine. I abide only as a branch attached to the vine that grows the beautiful fruit that gets crushed into wine. I'm the least deserving, made worthy to touch his feet, the servant that did nothing to earn a seat at the wedding feast. I'm a created being. You created everything. You made footstools of fools and galaxies your rings. You are Christ the consummate, my hope and every confidence, worthy to receive praise from every mouth and every continent. Infinitely worthy of our loyalty and my allegiance. Worthy enough to die to self and offer my obedience. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Son of Man. Worthy is the one who takes the scrolls from his holy hand where angels and elders and living creatures all fall and worship the highest king, most worthy of all. Amen, church? Amen. He is worthy. Let us pray. God, our Father, we ask that you will guide us by your spirit to humble ourselves, to not raise ourselves up as mighty, that we might have clarity to discern, Lord, how we can own this story of your coming, how we can make it our own, Lord, just as you humbled yourself, left heaven and came to earth that you might serve and save. May we do so also, Lord. Humble ourselves, magnify your name, make it great and serve you and your people. We ask and pray for your help by your spirit this week now. Amen.